Hi, I'm Corey Nathan, and this is Talking Politics and Religion Without Killing Each Other. Your home for edifying, provocative, and fun conversations among high-profile public figures and regular folks like me. We talk about faith and politics and all kinds of topics that really matter in our culture. So if you're tired of all the screamers out there taking all the oxygen out of the room and you want to join us and taking some of that space back, you'll love talking politics and religion without killing each other. Thanks for spending some time with us. Enjoy today's show. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We are talking politics and religion without killing each other. And that's the important part, without killing each other. I am your host, Corey Nathan, and I am really grateful to have a place to talk about faith and politics and all these big ideas in our world with all kinds of really interesting, accomplished people of goodwill and good faith. And we have some special people today. Uh, so please remember to subscribe if you haven't already to this podcast. And if you have and like what we do, tell a friend, give us a good rating, leave a review. All these things are ways that uh, get word out and help other people participate in the conversation. The easiest way to find us is our main site, which is www.politicsandreligion.us. It's all one word and the end is spelled out. Politicsandreligion.us. All of that helps get the word out so more people can just dive in and, and uh, we can continue doing what we're doing today. Uh, this is a really special conversation. We have, as my special guests, my mishpacha. <laughs> um, you might have heard me use that term before, but since one of our guests grew up in a house where Yiddish was spoken, I'll ask my cousin Sheila how to say that word properly and what that word means. Well, in, in Yiddish, it's mishpacha, you said it well, and in Hebrew, it's mishpacha, and that means family. That's exactly what it means, family. How about that? All right, so so now that we have that a little bit of background, I always say sh uh, family, uh, extended family with a little bit of uh, chicken fat mixed in there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you have to have a little schmaltz in there. Like, that's what makes it mish it's special, right? Um so, uh, so why, don't, why don't we do this? Why don't we introduce everybody and see if you if you know, um, I'm going to start with Dina and Jonathan, actually, and see if you know exactly how we're related. So uh, since you're the, uh, I was going to say, since you're the eldest, am I allowed to say that? Um, <laughs> Dina. <laughs> so why don't you introduce yourself and, and do you know exactly how we're related? Hi, everybody. I'm Dina. I am uh, as Sheila's daughter and I uh, live here in Israel. The Israeli branch, and my mom is cousins with the Corey's uh, father. That's that's right. That's right. Jonathan, Jonathan, why don't you introduce yourself? Where, where and where in Israel are you? So Dina's on a train right now, but where are you located, Dina? Yeah, I live uh, in Modi'in, city of Modi'in, which is right between Tel Aviv and Jerusalem. Sorry about that. <laughs> it's the train. We're getting it live. That's awesome. Yeah. And Jonathan. Hi there, Jonathan. I live in uh, the south part of Israel, near uh, Beersheba in a town called Lahavim. I am Sheila's uh, son. Uh, the relationship is, yeah, we're cousins, but we can get a little more uh, specific. And that's actually, yeah, it's the grand, you know, the uh, my mother's mother and uh, your father's grandmother right. are sisters. So there we go. Right. And they came, they came over together. Yeah, they yeah, came over together. And then since we ha since we have Alan, 
Um, Alan, is your so the Warshawskis? Where where in Europe are the Warshawskis from? Just using the name Warshawski, which has the word Warsaw in in the middle of it, uh, it gives you an indication that the family that eventually settled in the United States uh, came from Eastern Europe. But my father's family came from Poland, from a little shtetl called Turek, T-U-R-I-K. It was uh, east of Lvov, um, and they got out. My father actually came himself um, to get out, and he actually made his way to Palestine at the time, and just before the breakup of World War One, and he volunteered and served in the Zion Mule Corps uh, against the uh, to try and kick the uh, Turks out of the uh, out of this area. Uh, and um, my mom's family uh, came from Belarus, uh, from a town called Stapes. And they met, ultimately met in the United States. And uh, then in 1979, we made the big decision to leave the States and make our way into, uh, make our way to Israel. And we've been here since July 2nd, 1979. Wow. Um, all right. So, uh, Sheila, so um, yeah. you, you, you are the main organizer of our big family reunion. Um, and uh, anybody can chime in here. But I, I wanted to start with a little bit of historical context. Our family, the Blicks is from a part of Ukraine. It's now Ukraine. At the time uh, they left, it was part of the young Soviet Union. It was a province in the young so Soviet Union. It was part of the Russian Empire before World War One. It's called Cherniostrov, uh, on the kind of Western, central Western Ukraine. Uh, so Sheila, how much do we know about um, Cherniostrov? And, and do, do, do you have any sense of how long our family was there before before I, they left uh, in 1920. I, I know uh, quite a bit about the shtetl because my mother used to speak about it all the time, especially when the uh, film Fiddler on the Roof came out, but other times also. And also I used to speak a lot with uh, your great-grandmother and, uh, and your grandmother and all our aunts and uncles spoke about it a lot. The Shtapes was a uh, very, was a small, a very small town it was called a shtetl, which meant a community where the Jews lived, and they were fairly poor, I think, as and because um, they lived in sort of like a uh, a shack or something that you would have seen on the Fiddler on the Roof movie, and the uh, they had a they had a fairly hard life, and when the uh, there was very severe pogroms, which means when the Russian Cossacks came running through on their horses. With their swords, they would just hit randomly at people. And uh, your uh, grandmother, grandmother, and uh, my mother were 15 and 17 or 16 years old, and they vividly remember that. They vividly remember that, having to hide behind the haystacks when they came into town. So I, so, so they have vivid memories, and they told vivid stories about it, and it's. Uh, and then the life came through to us and they all had to uh, escape. 
and, and they and they did successfully because uh, one of the old my, one of my mother's older brothers he had left Ukraine years before the family left came to the United States and he worked and he saved all his money and he brought the family over and we always speak about the Uncle A.B. that he brought the family over if it wasn't for him I don't know what would have happened to the family so uh just for some historical, well, uh, our family, uh, the patriarch and matriarch that we're referring to, it's the Blick side of the family. Um, and how do you say uh, your grandfather's name on Rose's side, Ben Zion or? Ben Sion. Ben Sion. Ben Sion. Yeah. And, and that's, Faga. That's the, Faga. Right. That's the, yeah. So they were, they were the, the patriarch matriarch. Now, Hannah, my great grandmother, who I was named after, um, she was, she already, her and her husband, Chaim Rubin, uh, he's uh, from the Kraval side of my family. They were already, they already had a family. Uh, my grandmother, yes, Bessie was already born. Um, her younger sister, Rose was already born. And, um, and now your mother, uh, and they had, they had, a, they had, a, they had a baby. They had a baby, she had um, a small baby who died in Ellis Island. Right. Right. Yeah. And your, your mother was already, um, uh, you know, she she was born in 1905. She, she was 16. She was 16. So that's why my grandmother and Rose were very close. Uh, they were re relatively close in age, about uh, eight, I think, eight years apart. So do, do you know what, uh, and how do you say it again, Bensian? Like, do, do you know ben what Sion, he did? Bensian. Bensian. Well, I, I sort of know what he did because um, my mother, at different times in her later life, for instance, when Khrushchev was visiting the States in the 1960s and speaking on television, she understood his Russian. And she also, when she was uh, visiting us in Israel and was in the hospital, broke her hip and she was sort of a little delirious. The person in the bed next to her started speaking Russian. We have a lot of Russians living in Israel. And she started speaking Russian then. And it turns out that when uh, she was growing up in this town, but what she told me was that her father was a mayor or some kind of, had some kind of official capacity, which allowed her to go to the Russian school. Otherwise, Jewish girls did not have any education. The boys studied Torah and things, and the girls were not educated, but she did. So she learned, she learned Russian and she was able to, I, I guess, remember it, but she also, Interesting. She used to, she expressed that it was really a terrible situation because she was the only Jewish gal in the in the class, and she would sit there, and they had these wooden desks that the seat in front was attached to the desk behind, and the desk behind had an inkwell, and the desk behind had a very cruel little Russian boy who used to take her pigtails and stick it in the inkwell. She related that story to us. Wow. Now, do you know, do you know if my grandmother, if Bessie went to that school too? Cause she, no, and... no, none of them, none of them went to the school. No, no that was just your mother. That's interesting. I didn't my know My mother. That. Yeah. Yeah. She was, I guess at the right age or I'm not sure why, but she was the only one who went. Now, did she or um, Hannah or any of the siblings? So uh, again, so Hannah was born in 1890. Your mother was born in 1905. There were five siblings altogether. Um, yeah. Did any of them tell you stories about your, um, the, the, their grandparents? You, you, it's interesting to hear about your grandparents, but did you hear anything about 
uh, no. Hannah and Rose's grandparents. I, 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 oh, my mother used to speak of her parents when they were in the United States. And because they came and they lived here for, they came in 1905 and they each died, I'm looking on the list, they each died like in 1933 and 1930. So they were, they were here. They were here and the family was all living together, except, except your uh, grandmother, she was in Brooklyn, but the rest of the family got off the boat in Ellis Island and uh, Uncle Avey took them to uh, Newark and got them all set up there. So I was going to ask you about that. So how did, so um, it was a long trip and I, I do want to ask you about the trip as well, but before we get to the trip and then how they established themselves in the States, Jonathan and Dina did you did you hear stories? Did you sit and, and listen to stories from your grandparents, Rose and Dave, about what it was like in Russia, about uh, about the trip? Did, what, what did you hear uh, when you grew up? Because Rose and Dave lived a long time. They lived into the they both lived into their their 80s. Um, so did you hear anything from them? The truth is not that much. And I think when I was. Uh... Speaking to my grandmother, I was much more interested in how I can get some more blintzes out of her um, <laughs> than where she was from. But I do know, you know, they had the Russian and art, and my grandfather was more interested in me reading to him in Hebrew or talking to us about uh, famous Jewish literature like Bialik uh, writers than more about telling about his time in the in the old land or and my grandmother not too many stories there no no <laughs> i actually remember every time my grandparents used to come visit us uh in oceanside we always love when they put us to sleep because they always tell us stories about the time in the ship and i remember them rubbing my back and telling me stories those are good bednight stories i remember my stories with ship um not all of them were happy ones. I do remember, I'm, I'm kind of mixing up probably get the stories you see on like, like Fiddle on the Roof kind of thing, but uh, they were not always happy stories, but certain things I do remember making very important to talk to us about and share with us their previous life um, in Russia. So, but not very, I don't remember in details, unfortunately. But I do remember the moments of coming and scratching my back and telling me stories in bed. Unfortunately, yeah. not the details. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's interesting. I, I I didn't really dig into the stories until, and I was sharing this with, with you yesterday, Sheila, um, I started driving. Um, and once I was 17, I would make a point of driving into Brooklyn every, uh, every about, about once a week. And I would spend an entire afternoon. Um, and uh, my grandfather, Saul, Bessie's husband, um, he didn't pass away until 1995. So I got to spend a few years with him as a young adult. And he would always take the, the main stage. But he he was a little he was a young boy when he became a part of the family. He was only 16 years old when he and my grandmother met. Uh, so he heard all of those stories. And then uh, but when, when Saul passed away, my grandfather, I called him Zeta. When he passed away in 95, whenever I would go back, I was living in California by that time. Uh, I would spend days with with my grandmother. And it was amazing how clear her memory was. Um, she she had one story um, when. Um, it, it must have been one of the last years that they were there. Uh, and she said the the uh, pogroms would often happen right after Easter. The the passion, they would have the passion plays for Easter. And then the weeks after that would be a lot of the worst pogroms. And she said one uh, one year, her and her little sister, who was also named Rosie, would uh, they, they hid in a haystack 
uh, for an entire yeah. day, if not longer. Yeah, that's that's the same story of my my mother. That's yeah. the same story. And when yeah. she came out, um, Baba, I called my grandmother Baba. Um, she had a, a Baba and Rosie had a, a neighbor friend um, about their age, and her neighbor, uh, the little girl, came out with the heads of her parents in her hands. Uh, so that's how brutal it was. Now you alluded to this, Sheila, um, but do you know? Um, you've already mentioned that there were there were pogroms, and I, I that that's one story. Uh, and historically, we know that at least tens of thousands of Jews were killed by pogroms uh, between the years 1917 and 1921. Um, but do you know the circumstances that led up that that to the family finally deciding to leave? Well, the, the family just thought of leaving early on in like 1914, 1915, when, when they sent one of their sons over to the United States to make the money to bring them over because living was just, it was, was, was not good living. There was a lot of poverty and there wasn't a, a lot of leaving. It, it's so it's interesting to mention that, that one of my uncles, one of your grandmother's siblings or your great-grandmother's siblings, Harry was in the Russian army in World War I. And he went away as a young man into the army. And my, my mother was much younger. And my mother tells this really beautiful story that she was uh, walking on a Saturday morning, a Shabbat morning. And uh, the whole family was in synagogue. They were all quite observant and religious in that town. And she went to the, uh, the bakery to take out the... Uh, uh, what we call chunk, chunks, it's um, food that's cooked for 24 hours. So the uh, Jewish people used to make the food up on Friday afternoon, put it in the oven at the baker, and then Saturday take it, take it home and have a hot lunch, hot lunch, which we still do too sometimes. And she said, so she was walking home with this pot, and she must have been, I don't know, 10 or 11. And this soldier, ragged soldier, came up to her and said, Do you happen to know where the Blech family lives? That's her family. And she yeah. said, yeah, that's my family. Who are you? And then he realized who she was. He says, I'm your older brother. He was away for four or five years in the Russian army. Oh, wow. And and, uh, and uh, that was another reason uh, that uh, my uncle went to the States to get out of get going into the army because it wasn't a very good situation. So that's a very nice story that we, we hear about the family. It's interesting to hear that because I, I, I didn't know which uncle was part of the uh, the Tsar's army, uh, but we had politically active um, relatives, uh, and and the first part of the twentieth century leading into World War One, um, we had uh, you know my uncle Saul Creval was very active in the Zionist movement. Alan already talked about yeah. you know other family members that were active in the early Zionist movement, um, but I I think and, and I want to check with other family members about this, but I think some were early sympathizers of, or were sympathizers with an early version of the Bolshevik movement before there was the Bolshevik revolution. Uh, but then obviously there came a time uh, during the revolution where my my grandmother, and I think Rose would tell me this or the, the same thing where uh, there were the czar's army, there was the, uh, the Bolsheviks, there were the Cossacks, they all hated each other. But the one thing they all agreed on is they all hated the Jews. So, <laughs> but but the Jews had to serve. The boys had to serve. Yeah, yeah. It's, Very it's, often they cut off a finger or do those things not to get in. There's another story of the pogroms. 
uh, Uncle Abe sent this large amount of money to the family to get out, and they hid the money in their garden. And they the, all went out in, in, in the garden, garden, you said? Garden, garden, in the ground. So they hid the money in the ground under in the ground, so hiding. Um, and then they, they were all out. And when they came back, they found that their neighbor's house was burnt down and all the people were killed. And because the, 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 the Cossacks or the government thought that the money was in the other house. They, oh. And they were all killed. Oh wow! Yeah, and they left. Wow. So that 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 um, we know that the the other thing is that I I'd heard that there was some prominence that that our family had, um, you know, had some prominence there. You had mentioned that your grandfather was like a mayor of that state. Yes, definitely, definitely. And I think my Baba told me that um, my grandmother told me that. Uh, not her father, but her grandfather had um, owned mills, like they owned businesses, whether it was mills or merchants, uh, that that they were established. So it wasn't like they were leaving, you know, over the last decade plus that they were there. Obviously, they experienced great poverty, poverty, but it wasn't like, um, it, you know, they, they left something. You know, they they were leaving a life uh, where our family had been for generations upon generations. Um, I don't know if I mentioned this, but I did some research and I found that Jews were in that uh, had been in that region for a thousand years, eight hundred. Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah. Um, so the what do you know of the actual trip? Because there were several legs of the trip. It wasn't like oh, we're leaving. You, you turn the Ostrov, we're going to, you know, yeah, come no. arrive in New York the next day. Or, you know, it was like all, a, all, all, all the Jews, all the <laughs> Jews from uh, that area of the world, uh, when they left their countries, they went to Warsaw and they had to spend um, quite a bit of time in Warsaw. And there, the, in Warsaw, the uh, Jewish organization from the States called Hyas, which is still in existence now, helping immigrants, would go in and help them get their papers, get passports, which which we still have all their passports, get their whatever if you needed or paperwork. And uh, so they had to spend actually six months there. My my, uh, my father at a different time had the same thing and my mother and they were there for six months in Warsaw. And then from there they went, they were all taken to uh, um, France where they boarded their, um, their boats and got to the United States on March 3rd, 2000 and 2000, and, no, 1921. 1921. Yeah, March 3rd, 1921. I didn't realize that there was a Warsaw, that there was a stay in Warsaw. Immigrants from Ukraine today. Uh, what's happening in Ukraine today? Yeah, well, and their passports actually, which we have, says uh, citizenship says Poland. Oh wow! Or, and the and the ship's manifest, which I have here, says also says. Uh, now I thought that it, it says both. It says both. It says some of them say Chernostra and some says Poland for the same family. Now where does Amsterdam come in? We, I, I thought that and that's there was what some... the boat. That's, that's where oh, the boat okay. left. So okay. The boat. The boat. It left from from Amsterdam. Amsterdam, right? So it was like it was really a whole journey. It was um, oh, yeah. the better part of a year. They must have left. Yeah, probably, probably. 
in the spring or summer. With no communication, really. I guess I guess you could write a letter, but I don't know. Maybe the post was better then than now. <laughs> so w- once they got to uh, America, uh, we we had mentioned that I uh, that there was a little brother. Uh, Hannah's son was a baby, and he died on Ellis Island. So there was a whole family. There were there were five siblings. So who was on that trip? Of the siblings, Hannah and her husband Chaim Rubin. Um, oh, Rosie. there's a whole, yeah, there's a whole family. There's uh, your grand Hannah and her and her uh, three kids, and uh, and and uh, Harry. He they, he wasn't married. Harry was there, and uh, my mother and her her older sister May. So they were all there, and plus. Plus a whole list of other people. I have the manifest here. Yeah, a yeah, whole yeah. list of other of other people from the same town. So they all they all traveled together. Oh wow! The whole family. Did your parents meet here in the or in the in the, in the yeah, United States much later? Much yeah, later. Much later. Can I yeah. just? I'd like to say uh, if I can jump in here for a second. Yeah, yeah. Also on that boat, I think the most in if correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Ma uh, was. Abby's future wife, Rushka, came right, right, right. She was on the boat. Right, so she, she was on so the she boat. She came from the same she town. Was, she came from the same right, town. Right, and they, I think they came together. So they were on the boat together. They knew no, her. No, no, Abby, Abby, Abby was in the United States. Jonathan, he brought everybody over, but Rushka. I on understand, the but Rushka, right. they, the family that came over on the yeah. boat, knew knew Rushka from sure. the, from the town. Right. Because she, so she yeah, was her a, name was her name was Callan Oscar Mirla Grinwald. That was her name. Uh, so she was on the boat. That's important. Yeah, she was on the boat. Rushka's in that picture. That that uh, it's now an iconic family picture of of the family when they're still in in uh, in Ukraine in Chernyostrov. That's, that's the Krival family. Yeah. Yeah. So once once the family was here. How did how did the family establish? There was some family that settled in in Brooklyn, and some family that settled in Newark. Everybody went to Newark. Okay. Because what these what these immigrants do did, especially if they came from the same town, is they all supported each other. So they would come off the boat, and they would go to in this in this case they went to Newark, where there were other family members or acquaintances, and they were all taken in until they got set up. And you're your family went to Brooklyn. I'm not sure why. It's probably because the Krival connection. They went to Brooklyn. Everybody else stayed in Newark all their lives. All their yeah. lives. I'll have to ask my father about this because he 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 knows more about the Krivals. Um, but I right, think my right. uncle Saul had gotten here, and he and one of his brothers set up a uh, like a grocery store. Uh, or maybe I think one set up a grocery store, one set up a bar that Sal ran for years and years. Um, but what, what was your what did you, how did your family establish? How did the the Blick side of the family establish itself? Like business wise, like how did they they ultimately support themselves and and how did they get established? I, I really I really don't know. I know what uh, happened with my what my father did, but that's a different story. But. Uh, I have no idea. I guess I guess Amy was maybe working. I mean, he became he was a house painter, but I don't know if he was working then. But they all, uh, I don't know. They were, I guess the the young men. I I don't know. I really don't know what they did. I know that my uh, I know my mother went to night school 
but she never went. My mother never had any formal education at all. What What about your father? Because you, where did you Where did Dave come from? Did Did he come from Russia? He or? came from. He came from also someplace in Poland called Gritsov. Okay, Gritsov. So, but 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 with, but with my mother, I know I know what she did was she somehow studied English because. When I grew up with her, she was always reading. She actually gave me my love for reading, especially Pearl Buck and Reader's Digest. I don't know if any of you remember that, but Reader's <laughs> Digest, she was a big fan of that. It was right next to the TV guide. And she, and she pushed herself to, to, to learn English and to, uh, I mean, she was able to write. It wasn't great, but she was able to write. And then eventually she be, was working as a, a secretary at uh, the Westinghouse. What about your father? What did your father do professionally? My my father came over Sheila, when he was a young Sheila, to tell the yes. story with your father on one hand about the first time he saw light in his life when he went to Warsaw. Okay, okay. And the other aspect that Harry worked in the store and lived in the, in his business with him. That was later on. Okay, my father. My father came from a small town, and he was. Uh, he, he came to the United States when he was uh, 18 or 19, and his father had died when he was 13. Uh, was, uh, just, uh, I, I think, well, I think now it must have been a, of the, uh, the, uh, the flu epidemic in 1918. Oh. And my father had uh, two older sisters, a mother and a younger sister who was like a year old. And my father became the, uh, the man of the family, and he they had a terrible time getting out of uh, of uh, Ukraine, and he tells how he had to carry his little sister under a wagon to get away. And they also they went they went to Warsaw. And this is the story Alan wants to take, which is a very wants me to tell, which is a moving story. My father was I think he was eighteen or nineteen. He said he got to Warsaw the first night. And he was walking down the street, and all of a sudden the street lights went on. Now. He came from a town in Ukraine with no electricity. They had no electricity, nothing. And he was walking, I'm going to cry. He was walking down the street and the lights went on, the street lights went on. And all of a sudden he saw this light. And he said, this is what I want to do. I want to make light for people. Oh. And he became an electrician. He wow. became an electrician. He took the family to the States. He, he, had, he took them. I mean, he was the one... Uh, and um, he uh, got himself licensed, uh, apprenticed to a Lightning Electric, an electric uh, a company in, uh, in downtown Newark. And he became a certified electrician. And he uh, and he worked all those years giving people light. He was really, really good. He loved that work. And then later on in life, he opened up a um, a uh, electrical appliance store with. Uncle Harry, and they yeah. had a store for quite a while, right, quite a while. But interesting enough, somehow the Blick family and my father's family wound up living on the same house in, in, in Newark, you know, in the same apartment house. It was kind of strange. I mean, that's what happened. But the families, all, all the, all the, and then there were a lot when 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 everybody got there, there were a lot of other family members, you know, first cousins, second cousins, this aunts and uncles, and they they all they all kept and supported each other. And I remember going to visit some some aunts, Tante Greenfield, 
it was a dark house and she, it was, but we used to have to go there every Saturday there was the whole family and then later in life when we were all separated we used to go out to Brooklyn on almost every other Saturday or Sunday to visit the family the families were very very close in those days very close they lived near each other and they supported each other now you, you mentioned that in Chernyostrov in 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 Russia uh, or now it's Ukraine um the family was very observant once we got to America, how observant, I guess different people had different levels of observance, Jew, Jewish observance, right? Or did, was everybody what we would think of as, as conservative or reformed Jew? There, was a, there wasn't anything like that. I don't know. I think they all lit candles because I, I, I inherited the candlesticks. In the old country, every uh, Jewish woman who got married got candlesticks. If Alan would go upstairs and bring the candlesticks down, he could show them to you. Everybody got the same set of candlesticks. So if you, if you go around in, in Jewish homes, you very often see those candlesticks. Or if you go to museums in Krakow or whatever, you see the same. And and so so the, the uh, so they I knew they they lit candles, and I I actually have Hannah's candles candlesticks. And, and my candles, my my candlesticks. So I, I think I gave to my daughter Laura, and now they're waiting for somebody else who wants them. But in the meantime, they're passed they're passed around, and their family uh, you'll see them in a lot of families. So I, I think they might have lit candles, but I don't think there was anybody in the family who was observant or anything like that. Not not in my family. Okay. I mean, we 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 became later in life. Uh, our own way of observing, but I, I don't think anybody, they were connected. Yeah. My family, it's funny because my family kept kosher. Uh, we went to an Orthodox synagogue. Um, now, now I'm going to fast forward. I'm going to skip about 50 years of family history because I want to skip forward to when I remember the, uh, the seventies. Um, I remember, so I remember uh, you, you were still here. Your family was still here for Dina's bat mitzvah. Cause I went to Dina's bat mitzvah. Um, I remember going, I don't know if it was the same day. I think it was a different visit to your house in, in Long Island. Uh, but I remember uh, the men were playing basketball in the backyard and Jerry broke right. his leg. <laughs> right. That was a different visit. That was a different, different visit. visit yeah. And then and then we also had a family trip. All of us went to a house in Vermont. Do you, do you remember that? All of us, um, all the cousins, uh, Stephen and, and Andrea. And uh, so you you were here. But I, what I, I wanted to ask you, um, again, I'm skipping forward uh, a long ways here. Um, so you were here, you were established, and you decided to make Aliyah. Um, and again, I, different, uh, you, you, I'm, I don't know if I'm even pronounced. You know, when we're in shul, we say you make Aliyah, you go up to the bima and you you, you read a Torah portion. Um, but uh, Aliyah is a big thing. It's, it's also going up to Israel, like um so what, uh, Sheila, Alan, any of you, if you want to explain, tell me how to say it properly when, when you're making Aliyah, uh, and then you're explain saying, it You're saying your... it right. You're saying, you're saying okay. it right. All right. Aliyah, why, why we went, yeah. well, we, we, I, I must correct, we weren't a, we weren't a religious family, but we were, uh, oh, 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 my family grew up, we had kosher homes, so did Alan's family, and we uh, observed all the holidays, and the holidays was a big family thing. And when Alan and I were bringing up our kids, we were very active in the conservative movement. We belonged to a synagogue and our kids went to a conservative day school, which means they studied Hebrew 
subjects in half a day and, and, and regular subjects in the, the other half. And so we were always very involved in, um, in uh, Zionist activities, helping Israel, enjoying the Israeli culture and all those things. And at one point when I was a housewife on Long Island, not able to work because of, I was a biologist, not able to work because of the physical situation. And Alan was involved in a family business, which was quite hectic. Uh, all of a sudden we just, after a visit to Israel where Dina had her uh, bat mitzvah, the second bat mitzvah, and Alan's father was, uh, was buried, we just we decided just to pick up and leave and make a change in our life. It was the right time for us. We were the right age. Children were still at the right age. They were 13, 11, and 8. And so we just actually picked up and moved to a very small town near where Jonathan lives now, in the south of Israel. It was very, very small, where my very dear friends from camp, who I knew from way, way, way back in camp days, was living with her family. And uh, that's where we came and we were very happy here. I've got a job at the university. Alan did some, was doing his consulting and uh, the kids were very happy. I think, I think kids, I think you were very happy. So Dina, you were already a uh, early teenager, weren't you? And, and Jonathan, you were, you probably what, uh, uh, middle school or close to middle school? I was 11, I was 11 years old. I finished fifth grade. I came after fifth grade. Yeah, but Dina, you were a little older um, you were you were already bat mitzvahed. How, how how was that for you? I mean, that's a pretty big move, especially for kids. Now you all your kids are past that age. How how was that for for both of you? I can say that it was a great move. I look back at it. We're very happy to move here. I was thirteen. Um, came went to eighth grade. Very happy to move. I was happy in the states, but the move here was great. My parents took us to Omer, which is a great town. Um, down south, nice and warm. All the cold weather was left in the United States. Sorry, you can't really see me right now. But it was a great move. And until this day, I'm very happy. And thank God my four children live here in Israel with us. So uh, you got me. I'm happy about the big move. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. What about you, Jonathan? Because you were you were about to become a teenager and bar mitzvah. And, you know, it's a critical age for kids. How, how, how are you with the move? I think I like the idea. Okay. I, I like the idea. On us. A sarcastic uh well not sarcastic funny thing the only thing i uh, do regret is not seeing the new york islanders win the stanley cup uh, as soon as we left we, they won four straight stanley four straight. cups that's uh, right you guys yeah. lived on the island on long island yeah. and they went they went on to win four in a row after that <laughs> right season tickets and everything yeah it was it wasn't it wasn't pretty it wasn't pretty uh in that way but other than that uh, it was okay but i the 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 reality is, and I can see it now as I grow up, and I have my my family here, and my and the first cousins, and uh, and my kids have their aunts and uncles here. We did leave the United States, and we came to Israel, and we did not have uh, direct family. We had second cousins, cousins through cousins that became very close. But yes, we left the grandparents, stayed back in the United States, aunts and uncles, all the first cousins, and. Most of, you know, and the, and the cousins that we grew up, you know, just like with you guys, uh, uh, you know, you and Eddie and uh, your family. Uh, that So that part, thinking back is, and I can see what we have now here, that was a big thing that we were, were missing. But yeah. other than that, a good move. <laughs> yeah. 
No, Israel, it was a big trip. I mean, we, we, we went once as a family and it was a big deal. We were there for Laura's bat mitzvah. Right, uh, right. It was great. Yeah, yeah. That, that year, I, th- I guess it was summer of um, 1983, right? Was that? Right. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. Chloe, I'd like to add that the both families, Sheila's family, Sheila's parents, and my parents, even though they lived in New Jersey and in Brooklyn or Newark, they were both very active in the labor Zionist movement. <clears throat> and that's where, where the, let's say, the bug of Israel that came from uh, to us. Um, I can even remember in 1979 when we came on Aliyah to Israel, and remember when we made our decision roughly a year before that, because it took us a year to put the package together with etc. I remember speaking to my my in-laws and my father-in-law in particular, and saying, "I hope you're not mad at us, you know, for leaving." And leaving you, you know, here and going away. And his comment was, "How can I be mad at you? I've been a Zionist all my life, and you're fulfilling a dream, so that I certainly cannot be mad at you for doing something that was my dream of a lifetime." Yeah, yeah. I always looked at it as as uh, heroic, frankly. That that was my perception as you were doing so. Especially once we got into our Adina was the first to go and uh, you know. Uh, go through army and and you know then Jonathan and Laura. So I always thought, especially that part of it was heroic, um, and that it was um, an ideal that was being fulfilled. Uh, I missed hanging out with you guys because uh, you know we were all relatively close in age. I was very close in age with Laura. Um, I have to say though that Laura was brilliant and she always intimidated me with how smart she was. <laughs> so, um, but we we were the close. I think we were maybe six months apart, if that, because uh, she was born right, in right. as well. Um, she, was born, she was born in March. Yeah. I was always a little afraid of her. Not afraid, but definitely intimidated with how how uh, smart and brilliant she she is. So, so okay. I have to ask you. I have to ask you. Are how involved in in politics are you? Are you, do you stay engaged? I, we don't have to talk about it if you don't want to, but this is my specialty. I think we, we uh, it's, it's really a difficult thing to talk about now. I'll tell you one thing, being um, American new immigrants and and you never lose that status, or at least Alan and I haven't, it was very hard to break into any kind of politics. Alan did try for a while and got active in one of the smaller parties. But it's uh, really is a basically a small what call it? it's not a boys club, whatever it is, that's based on army service. When you served in the army, you grew up in the army like Rabin and all those people. You you were you were, you have that background, and those things still stick now. So it was hard to break in. And also as Americans, we had completely different values. We didn't even understand the crazy system here. And we tried on our local levels. Each of us got involved. Laura was very involved in her uh, community. She was on the community board and all those things, working a lot for education and things. But to get into politics here is a crazy, crazy thing. And the pol- political situation as of today is couldn't be worse. So when Alan and I and our peers, we say now there's nothing we can do about it. We're leaving it to... The next generation, and I hope they 
manage to get through it and, and do something about it because that's just it's just as, as bad as it could be. Yeah. It's bad. Yeah, let's not get let's not get into politics, but I want to give my father some credit here also, Mom. One daddy was also an officer in the Israeli army. They came and he yes, went yes, to the yeah. army, even though he was older. We have to give him credit for that. Right. Charles also was Charles also was an officer in the army, which also a very, very big deal, very prominent officer actually. My father in the states was very involved with the labor Zionist movement, which is what the, also still to the day the movement here in Israel. He came from the United States to Israel as representative of the United States at different conferences here in Israel throughout the years. And until this day, he's a loyal labor member. So I give him a lot of credit for somebody who's been very, you know, straight in his opinions and his ways throughout all the years. Um, politics is a very sensitive issue with the family. <laughs> we all have various opinions. This whole country got various opinions. I personally keep myself way out of politics if possible. I have a husband who's very much involved, and I just don't talk about it because it's better for me that way. <laughs> Hopefully, I'm just praying that things will be okay. And... Um, People who know what they're doing are involved. Hopefully, they're making the right decisions, even though who knows. But everyone has a way of handling politics. My personal opinion is not to get involved. <laughs> Fair enough. That's why I started. One of the reasons I started the, pod, the podcast is so that we could figure out how to talk, uh, you know, have better, healthier conver conversations across our differences. You know, mo most of my uh, family, uh, very much here in the States, very much anti Trump. I hate Trump. Although, I um I, I consider myself fairly conservative when it comes, especially when it comes to fiscal issues. So I hold certain positions, even so, some social issues. I hold certain positions uh, that my parents, in particular, don't uh, really don't agree with. Or some of my friends in the entertainment industry uh, tends to be very, very uh, progressive, liberal, if you will. And I I I, I hated the fact that um, you know if I brought up one issue uh, that sounded conservative. Um, that a lot of other assumptions would be made or or folks would get aggressive with me about other positions. And and um, so I, I just, one of the reasons I started this was when it comes to religion and politics, we should be able to have better conversations uh, when, when we disagree, especially when we disagree with each other. So, but I was curious, I, I've been curious to talk to you about this. So um, one of the reasons, one of the first uh, excuses, if you will, that a lot of uh, my friends from uh, church would say that they support Trump is because of what he's all that he's done for Israel. And Trump is the first one to talk about what a uh, what uh, how popular he is. Eighty five percent approval rating in, in Israel. And, um, you know, so I was curious how how you felt uh, about Trump, uh, about things like moving the embassy from Tel Aviv to to Jerusalem. Uh, how, how did that resonate with you in Israel? I'll, I'll answer. I'll start for me. I mean, I I am extremely anti-Trump because of if, if what he stands for, what he does, how he acts. He moved the embassy. Actually, it's not such a big deal. It's not such a big deal. I mean, there was we very doesn't mean very much. I, Alan and I are representatives of the American embassy in the South. In other words, we help people who have some problems if they need some kind of, and we, so we visit the embassy once a year. It's a very small, nice little building. And they may, they mainly give out passports where the Tel Aviv one is the big one on the, on the, on the sea. And, and it's, it's really very insignificant. He made this big move and it's all very nice, but it didn't really 
do anything. I mean, he started he started the connection with the uh, Arab countries, which is just, was just really wonderful. But from there, natural things kept kept going. I mean, now it's expanding. There's wonderful things happening. The Israel Symphony just played in Dubai. Okay. The Israel Symphony just played in Dubai. They wow. played both national anthems there. So uh, that that's so things so and afterwards, what he did when he was in office and with his followers, it didn't to me. It didn't really affect anything. It just embarrassed me or got us mad. And as far as the the money and the support, that comes from the Congress, which has always been pro-Israel, mm. thankfully. That's that's my opinion. And I, I I don't wish him terribly bad, but I wish him that he just stay down in his little hideaway. And I'm curious. Florida. I'm curious if there's any dissenters here. If there's any Trump fans, or or uh, we haven't <laughs> even talked about Bibi, uh, you know, Netanyahu. So uh, I'm curious to I, I'm going to start stirring. I want to stir up. I thought, I thought you I thought you weren't going to talk politics. I no, no, no. We're talking, we talking politics. We're doing it. Oh. <laughs> Jonathan, Jonathan, tell me. Right. To let Jonathan well, I, I, this, this is what here's what I think about um, um, the Trump part. First of all, for me, a big deal, the embassy that oh. it's in Jerusalem, a big deal. I think Jerusalem is the capital of Israel. We decided that it's the capital of Israel, the people that live here. And I don't think anybody else has a right in the world to say that we don't recognize your capital. So, and embassies should be in capitals. So I, I love it, the fact that the, the embassy is now in Jerusalem, whether it's not, even if it's a smaller office, I, I love that. Now, Trump, it's true. A big, and and for, uh, the record, uh, for the record, Dina is, is nodding in agreement. So go on, Jonathan. Okay. Um, as far as Trump was a big supporter of Israel, I, I uh, agree with that. But I think what the what the problem with Trump became is that uh, there was oh, and and my mother said this I think correctly. She said Congress and Democrats and Republicans since the Israel was established have always been supportive of Israel. Always we have big support. Yeah, sometimes criticism, sometimes it's problem, but always the United States has Israel's back. And that was a consensus. And what happened, I think, in the Trump administration was that because there was so much anti-Trump and there was such a big difference between Democrats and Republicans, that because Trump was so pro-Israel, all of a sudden that consensus was like, oh, if you like Israel, you're a Republican. If you don't like it, you're the Democrats. So it's almost like it became a problem with Congress also because Democrats didn't want to agree with Republicans even on anything because of Trump, and that included Israel. And I think that was bad for us. And hopefully now, with when Biden's there right now, that I think is is, is settling down. So that's that's how I take the the Trump administration. That's that's an interesting that's an interesting take. I it's it's interesting to hear it from your perspective. Yeah, I want to add something. I want to add something sure. about our. There's a lot of people ask us about, uh, I mean, our relationship as our family, our children and our grandchildren, our relationship to the United States. I just want to say that we are all citizens of the United States and we got citizenship for our grandchildren based on what they call the grandparent law. If you can prove that a parent or a grandparent lived in the United States for more than five years over the age of 14, 
the grandchildren were entitled for US citizenship. So all nine of our grandchildren became our United States citizens. And all nine of our grandchildren and my children and Alan and I, we vote in every election that we're able to vote in. And um, the absentee ballot, but we all vote. And the, in order for the grandchildren to vote, they, they always get civic lessons from me to understand what they're doing and how the United States runs. And we're, uh, we feel ourselves active uh, United States citizens and we all pay taxes. Oh, okay. Another, oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Yep. So, so how about uh, is there is there broad uh, consensus? Uh, everybody loves uh, Bibi Netanyahu, or uh, everybody. Not... <laughs> I don't know who's going to answer that question. I think we should just pass it. I will answer that question. That the, there is some. Um, I come from a family who has a diaspora. We're nine of us now, and all of us vote in the large section from left to right to in the middle. We're all over the place, my family. Very, um, everyone has their own opinion here, which is wonderful. Uh, there are wonderful things that Netanyahu did over the years for Israel. A lot of things I can highly respect they did. I'm not really sure it's the right thing what's happening right now, and what time will tell with this new government is coming in. At the moment, it's kind of scary. Uh, but he's a person who has a, well a lot of, um, well he's kind of, he has, um, over the years, he's done amazing things for the country. Not everyone agrees with him. I think he's done amazing things for the country. Um, and he's a, a very bright and amazing perspective in the whole economy with the, with the money, financial things. He's done good things for the country. Obviously, now we have to see what's going to happen. This country has been, uh, besides for the government now, is coming in, thank God, being sworn in, finally, a government. We haven't had a stable government here for many years already. So we're all very optimistic. Somehow this will go through as a stable government will last more than a year. Um, and if he's the person to do it, maybe. Um, hopefully it'll be uh, something that'll be good for the country. Not too many. Not, I think we'll see what happens. We'll talk about next year and two years from now. If this government holds up, then maybe hopefully it'll be some good news. Um, and, and then some other people will come up for the rise up from below. So next election, another four years from now, will be more opportunity to choose for other people that to be more easy to choose from and to vote because the voting is getting a little difficult around here. I'd like to add, Corey. Yeah. The, um, one of the things, even though I'm not particularly fond of, the, of Netanyahu, but one of the things I, ca I have to give him credit for is he managed on behalf of Israel to set up a special relationships with all of the countries in the Gulf, whether it's Beheran, and Kuwait and Abu Dhabi and Dubai, etc. And that's been now of late, including Morocco. And so that a lot of the negativism with Muslim countries has started to disappear. I mean, there's always people on the left and the right. You can't help that, <clears throat> just the way it goes. But uh, we got to give him credit for something that was really wonderfully accomplished. Israel now has flight, regular flights to Morocco. Sheila and I actually visited Morocco. We had a wonderful time. Went to synagogue there. And it's just, uh, and like I couldn't believe I was in a place that was supposedly anti-Israel at one time. Uh, it's such a positive change. Yeah. So, so uh, Dina and Jonathan, um, are your kid? Your kids are now young adults. 
have they begun getting involved in politics or interested in political issues? And where where do your kids stand? Well, I can talk for my kids. I can say that I'm, the fact that life is, uh, we've been doing a lot of politics here in the country. I keep joking about it that my son is, that tw- my youngest is 21. When you vote, he voted, his first time he voted was exactly 18 was the election at that time, he was 18 years old. And since, he's, since then, he's voted five times. It's kind of like a joke about the fact. I mean, just really, he's, it's too, I mean, it really puts in proportion how much. So, yes, every year, every year, pretty much, we get together and we have this discussion. I usually, we invite our kids over a big barbecue on election day, and we've had them over in the last five years, many times. Um, it's getting really ridiculous. But yet, we, everyone has their own personal opinion. Um, Conversations do come up, especially certain issues that they come up in the in the news. Um, usually, we don't try to talk politics in the house, um, especially not with my parents, because yeah. I know uh, my family. My family is a little more right wing. They're definitely more left wing. We're, I'm like center right wing more, and they're more left, definitely left wing. <laughs> so yeah. we try as family get together. We try not to avoid um, politics. Um, enjoy the evening together I, I personally keep away from politics so that's my yeah. personal thing what about you jonathan no no not much my kids are in their early 20s mid-20s and we don't talk too much about politics uh again everybody has a lot of experience after voting so many times in the last uh few years but not really not too much uh talking about politics i think um I think people are more interested maybe on, on a local level, what they can do maybe in your own town or in your own area, maybe be able to do things and influence that way, but not much on the on the country level. We don't go into it that much. But everybody votes as opposed to... Oh, Lord. Yeah, everybody votes. Everybody, everybody yeah. votes. Yes. And, and how would you describe yourself, Jonathan, like a fiscally conservative... Uh, in terms of um, military involvement, uh, are you a hawk? Are you a dove? Like, how, how would you describe your own disposition? <laughs> Good question. I don't know. I think that I, I think in general, in general, in, in in Israel, I think that the majority of the of even the parties that are out of the 120 uh, members of uh, of our parliament, our Knesset, I'd say that most of them are somewhere in the middle, and and most of them have pretty much the same ideas a little bit more to the left, a little bit more to the right about how Israel should be financially, military, and uh, all, all the socially, pretty much um, pretty much the same. But what happens is uh, people want to be in power, and then they give in to um, extremists on the right and the left. And it's not even right and left. It just could be, uh, you know, just people that have just interests of their uh, of their own i don't consider people here like in israel that are religious that have the religious parties that are trying to take care of the their the ultra or religious people i don't consider them right or left i just consider them they're taking care of what they want and i think that if we could have put the middle together of the people that are not extremists we would be a lot better off but um that doesn't seem to be a reality, and I w- and I wish it was that. I wish it was that way. Yeah, yeah. But there's it's just, it's just it's just not. There's one caucus in the United States Congress called the Problem Solvers Caucus, and uh, I wish that that it's Republicans and Democrats, um, and they're focused on solving problems as opposed to caving into the radical extremes of their respective parties. 
And my hope is that a caucus like that, that one uh, gains more leverage in the coming years. But right now, it seems like the extremists are the ones that have the loudest voices. Uh, and it seems to be a pattern around the world. You know, I want I want to I want to go back to the uh, to the family. Yeah. To go back to the family in the uh, the nineteen, well, I can remember the nineteen fifties and sixties, and you know, you could be asking the same questions: Were they involved politically? What were their thoughts? What were their this? I don't think the family. I, I, my family was always Democrat. I can always remember my mother when the uh, fifty two saying, listening to Stevenson on the couldn't go out the television, maybe on the television, but saying, you know, was a, a man like that, he has to be president. Of course, she wasn't. But but I but uh, they weren't really involved in politics. They were involved in. I mean, they all voted. Yeah. But I don't ever remember any kind of uh, working for any of the parties or even. Talk, I mean, most of whoever did it, they worked for uh, for Zionist causes or uh, they had their own groups that they met together and uh, had these high, high level dis literary discussions. And then they had cemetery plots where they, and, and there were different, uh, like um, Amy was in the working circle, which was further right. And my parents were, and Alan's parents were in the labor Zionist movement, which was, but it, we were never involved in, in, in politics. We never spoke about that. Although I grew up as a Democrat, and you know it's uh, remained so, but uh, I never remember any kind of activism in any of the families. Yeah, uh, and they and they had to become citizens. They had to, you know, they had to all study and become citizens and take the test. And and their citizenship papers are the exact same piece of paper as as my grandchildren got. They look exactly the same. Which is interesting. It's funny because now that you're mentioning that, my my father was very politically active. Yes, he was very. Yeah, he was. But all the other members of my family, their their political activity had more to do. Like my grandparents, my Baba and Zayda, Bess and Saul, they would send money to the family that was still in Ukraine, that was still, right. you know, right. and, and as they called it, Russian. Um, you know, that was their political. Or Uncle Saul uh, on the Krival side, he was very active with Israel, and he still, you know, he he went to Israel on a, on a regular basis. Um, but I don't remember a lot of conversations. I asked my grandmother one time and she said, we're Jewish, of course, we're Democrat. I'm like, what? I don't know. <laughs> you know, but I think that's being children of of the, the Depression and then, you know, World War II and them coming into age, uh, coming of age during the, the, the Roosevelt era, you know. So I think that's what it had to do. We're Jewish, of course, we're Democrat. I didn't know what that one thing was connected to the other. But um, OK, yeah. so I have a couple more questions. Uh, before we wrap up, I usually, when a famous person comes on here, I say, how can we find you online and all the great work that you're doing? And you're famous to me. Uh, but instead of asking how people can find you online, um, I was going to ask you if there's a particular charity uh, that you'd like to um, advocate for, and then we'll include the um, URL, how, how to find it in our show notes. Uh, is there a particular charity that you want to um, give a shout out to? I can answer that very easily. As you know, uh, your cousin and our daughter, Laura, died a number of years ago. And um, Laura, in her married life, uh, was very active in our our synagogue in, in Elmer. And we, Alan and I are very active in the synagogue. And uh, we, set up a, a, we set up a fund. We call it the Laura Fund, Laura Charity Fund. And the money that comes into this fund is used exclusively to help 
people of need in the Negev, children, cancer organizations, families that are in need, organizations that give other help to other uh, to, to other people in need, like Jonathan's active in this organization that runs a, a summer camp for children with cancer and their siblings. And we give money ex exclusively to these places in the, the south of Israel, in the Negev, because in our system, what's happened in this country that all the, uh, it seems that the, the, the major amount of contributions and money has been going to the central center of the country and the periphery, as we call it, up north and down south, don't, don't get as much help. So we use that and I can send you the information and the money is used exclusively to help people and organizations who are working with people in the south. Okay. So yeah, please do make sure with uh, to send me the the you know URL and the you know how we can find it. I will be sure to include that in the show notes. So however you're listening on to this um, to this podcast, whether it's Apple Podcast or Spotify or anything else, be sure to check the show notes and we'll include uh, easy ways to to find that charity. Just for the record, the, the money is donated to a registered nonprofit organization in Israel and it's transferred via either the Conservative Movement or the PEF Israel Endowment Fund so that an American making a contribution that ultimately goes to this fund is considered a, a bona fide tax deductible charity uh, by U.S. government on their Great, great. Terrific. Um, so the uh, I, I interviewed a journalist recently that said uh, that told a story about her mother, who was a lawyer. Um, and taught her one of the best lessons that she could have learned as a journalist, which is before you wrap up any interview, ask, are there any questions that I should have asked? Is there anything else that that if I ask the question that that you, you wanted to tell me? So that that's for there's uh, me and then Alan, Sheila, Dina and Jonathan. Uh, what should I have asked and what do I what what should we have covered that we haven't covered yet? <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't. I, it's not really. It's not really a question, but uh, but I think it should come out of the importance to uh, to us. And I'm talking about my children, and I think my grandchildren now, and to us, and to to the rest of the family, which I saw when we got ourselves all together, and the importance of family. Yeah. Because I think that was the strong thing. No matter where you live, and nowadays it's easy to much easier to keep in touch. But that's the important thing to, you know, cons be considerate of each other, think about each other, support each other, and love each other, no matter where you live in the world. Yeah, and yeah, so yeah. No, we we talked about that a little bit yesterday. Having a sense of uh, connection, um, having an understanding of who we are as a as a family, who we are as a people. I remember one day it was a few years ago, and you corrected me, Sheila. It was Bobby Barad who got the information about. Uh, Bess and Rosie's bro baby brother who died on Ellis Island. And when I read the information, the little short story that Bobby Barad found, um, I cried my eyes out. Uh, and my kids were little at the time. One of my kids, I think it was Savannah. It was either Savannah or Jackie Boy who walked in and saw me crying. And it was just this sense of connection, this big question mark that I had, because my Bob is sometimes referred to uh, her little brother. And we didn't, we didn't have uh, any meat on the bones, if you will. We didn't know any um, reality to it. So even finding the grave where he was buried, 
you, you know, meant meant a lot. But I really appreciate uh, Sheila. You're you're very good about sending out updates around holidays, and it, it does uh, for me over here in California. It gives me a sense of feeling connected. You know, we we've been apart for so long in terms of miles, uh, but these last few years, it's been uh, it's been really great to feel uh, a sense of connection. And uh, I, I really appreciate it. And and this uh, even just this conversation has been a real treat for me. So it's been great seeing everybody. And uh, I love you. And uh, yeah. thank you. Thank you for doing this. It's yeah. Nice. Yeah. It's great. Well, I'd like to say shalom, which means hello or goodbye. But more importantly, it also means peace. And I look forward to the day where we can really smile and say we have peace in this world which today unfortunately seems a little bit upside down excellent i couldn't think of a better way to end this uh this this episode um so as always this is really special for me i hope you appreciated it too if you dig what we're doing here please remember to subscribe uh leave us a review or comments wherever you get your podcasts and tell a friend about this podcast talk of politics and religion without killing each other we're really easy to recommend uh, through our main website, what www.politicsandreligion.us. That's politicsandreligion.us. Now go talk some politics and religion, just like we did today, with gentleness and respect, and have a great week. Corey, 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 can you call? Can you call Lisa in so my kids can see her? Oh, Lee. Yeah. Come here. Jonathan and Dina are are here. This could be on the. I think I'm going to save this part of the recording too. (laughs) And now, hold on. Thank you for joining us today. If you dig what we're doing here, it is super easy to follow us. You can go to our site, politicsandreligion.us. That's with the and spelled out, A N D. Politicsandreligion.us. And we're on all the socials at TP and R Pod. You know, TP and R Pod for Talking Politics and Religion Pod. And here's a big way you can support us by becoming one of our patrons. You can even become a producer or executive producer of our program and have a lot more say in who we bring on, the kinds of questions we explore, or just help us keep the lights on. But mostly, we really appreciate you giving us a listen. So for the whole team here at Talking Politics and Religion Without Killing Each Other, thanks for hanging out with us. We'll be back in a few days to do our little part in Tikkun Olam. Yeah.